did you did you wait the the requisite seventeen minutes for your water to cool from boiling temperature to use the aero press? I didn't. I just cut my water short. Yeah. Does it taste burnt then? No. How can water burn something? Exactly. I don't understand. That's that. what I thought. But apparently, you meant to leave it for for seventeen minutes. I know. I know. Nick puts it on before Rusty puts it on before his shower. Goes and has a shower. Well, you're losing back. some good chat here. Let's get into the. Uh... Anyway, all right. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, hi. Welcome to Jeremy's Iron. It's a evidence-based podcast about science, research, and AeroPress bean grind. Yeah. <laughs> With me, Justin Decaf Arabica, <laughs> and, and Justin Single O. I'm glad we have someone who can join us in our anagram game. Take proper names and rearrange the letters to form a description of that person. Like, uh, Alec Guinness. You know what single O is, right? Yeah, a single single origin. Yeah. Like it means it's from this one place. Like right? one bean one, type. One dude made it. Oh, one bean type. Yeah, right. Right? Uh, like I'm not a... I, you don't really drink coffee. I drink coffee, but I'm not like a... I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm a fancy coffee guy. No. I'm no coffee connoisseur. Um, but this whole single O thing, right? I don't get it. Mm. Where else in life? I mean, look, I don't drink wine where people also want like single grapes or I don't drink whiskey or rye where it's like a single mm. malt, whatever, scotch. There's a premium on single, solo uh, running things. Just, Genesis. Yeah. But in other things that I know of that I eat, like when am I ever like one ingredient in my meal? I'd be like, <laughs> no, thanks. I'll, I'll have that steak by itself. Nothing else. Single is protein. Single cow, <laughs> single cow milk? Single, single cow burgers. You'd be like, no, this burger's from one cow. Yeah. No, I don't. You eat blended burgers? Dude. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, you're just getting the worst parts of all the different animals. You know, you, what you want is the worst part of a single animal. <laughs> <laughs> why, why are we so fastidious when it comes to coffee and like yeah. these other things about like being obsessive? What's so good about it coming from one thing? <laughs> so I find this, this single O obsession to be like really odd. Any listener that can prove me wrong or wants to argue about that, I'm open because I haven't thought about this deeply, but I don't get it. I'll tell you one place where single O won't fly. Whenever ethnicity is brought into the, uh, like, human single O. (laughs) That's loaded. I I feel like human single O is... uh... (laughs) Well, but isn't state of origin is sort of like... I've got a a new company. I'm going with uh, single single O. (laughs) Oh, really? Yeah. Yep. Just Maltese. Yeah. (laughs) All right, let's talk some science. This, this is right. a, a science right. podcast. And uh, today well, we are going to be dealing with the, uh, well, we're talking about soy products and the potential for that to have adverse effects to men's health. Mm-hmm. The link between... Women's health too. Well, women's too. I, th- I mean... I thought, I, personally, I think it's more of an issue for women than for men. True, but I have named this podcast, Will, soy, Will Eating Soy Give Me Man Boobs? Which... <laughs> no, it should be... 
is so the reason I have man, man boobs. boobs. Yeah. <laughs> Did Soy give me <laughs> these large, heaping man boobs? Yeah. Now, listeners, you can't see Justin, but he does have a glorious rack. <laughs> which... <laughs> <laughs> I've never been complimented on my rack before. So. I know you're self-conscious about it, so I thought I'd make you feel good. <laughs> uh, well, we're going to be talking, uh, well, mainly about the effects on men, but also yeah. about the um, supposed effects of soy on women. Well, men and women, we're both humans, right? So it's going to be coming down to, does soy and the like have any effect on human sort of estrogen-based physiology? Exactamundo. Right? Yep. Now, first, can we talk a bit have a bit more chit chat. I got more things I want to get off my chest. Yes, we can. But right at the top, I would like to do a, a little bit of a shout out to the people who have written in to the show, if you don't mind very much. Um, I've been getting Make some... it snappy. I'll do it quick. Karen uh, and Noni, constant listeners, mm-hmm. thanks for your listenership. Um, yeah. Suggested that we keep up with this science chit chat. And don't go down the path of potentially doing a name-based show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I can't believe that a week ago we thought it was such a good idea. In hindsight, terrible idea. Yeah, we had this idea of, of potentially changing, doing a season two of this show where we don't do science. To a format. We focus a reformat. on... Um, oh, there's a good word. What's the, the, the study of names and the history of names? It's like, it's got a cool Et- word. Etymology. No, no, no. No, no, no names. No. No. It's like on a, on an etymology or something like that. I'm going to look it up now. But um, the idea was... Let's get a number crunch. The idea was, um, it's called onomastics. Mm. We could be the onomasturbators. Oh well, my God, well, no, would really... we be onomasticating? If we okay. were talking and chewing good. the fat on names? The onomasticators, yeah. Right? That's, That's pretty, pretty good. good. Um, but yeah, they said, no, don't do that. No, no. Keep, keep up with the things that you know about, which is science and research. And, well, I know. told you I've got a, kind of a pet passion for words and names, so it's not like uh, totally out of my wheelhouse, but... Science, it's Not. also in that big wheelhouse. <laughs> it's a big <laughs> so wheelhouse. So appreciate the feedback, Karen yeah. and Noni. And then we've got Dave and Annie. Shout outs to Dave and Annie and Grace, I should say. Dave, mm-hmm. Annie and Grace, a new, new member of the, the family, Carter. Um, Dave wrote in and said, can you guys do an episode on placebo, nocebo effects? Yeah, we can do that. I think we, we can we've, absolutely do that. We've spoken about placebo and nocebo, but we can do a dedicated episode about mm. it. Yeah, we can do he, that. He actually sent in a really interesting study on placebos for people with irritable bowel syndrome, mm. which worked even when they knew they were placebos. So the whole, I mean, the whole idea of a study based on placebos is yeah. there's some kind of deceit based mm. in it, right? Like the people taking the placebos get randomized to that arm of the group and the people taking the active treatment get randomized to that arm. Yeah. But the whole idea is you don't know that you're taking the sugar pills, right? Like well, the, the idea is you that you think, right? The, well, no, the idea is that you think that what you're taking could be a real medicine, right? That could help you, right? But so, look at the, let me draw a conjecture here, right? Yeah. We've discussed people know so much about placebo, and they know that the the general opinion of placebos is that they often do work as well as regular medicine, right? That's sort of like the the common. The, the layman's understanding of placebos is that they can work as well as a real medicine. Okay. Right? I see right? where you're going with this. Yeah. And so it's possible for the average person who's told you're taking the placebo, they're like, well, even placebos can work, right? In fact, even placebos work just as well as the real medicine sometimes. Mm-hmm. So they would expect the same physiological response as they get from a real medicine, which means it would still do its job, right? Yeah. Well, There's this, no deceit let, let me read you how this was actually done. Um, it's by Kapchuk. TJ, and it's called 
placebos without deception, mm-hmm. a randomized control trial in irritable bowel syndrome, IBS. Mm-hmm. Um, so they followed 80 adults with IBS over the course of three weeks. Um, they were randomly assigned to receive either the placebo pills or no treatment. So it's not placebo versus active, it's placebo versus no treatment, right? So the participants in the placebo group were informed that placebo pills made of an inert substance like sugar pills have been shown in clinical studies to produce significant improvement in IBS symptoms through mind-body healing processes. So they're basically told that that there's nothing in this. They're told you you might be getting mind medicine. That's right. Right? It's the same thing. But basically, that's it. They, They tell them that it's a placebo and that it could... And essentially how the placebo goes on to work yeah. and it does work, yeah. which is, I find that incredible. I found that really fascinating. But again, it's only because placebos only seem to work for certain kinds of things and they tend to work for symptoms, not diseases, right? Yeah. And even though IBS sounds like a real disease, the reality is we don't know what causes it and we know it's associated with depression and anxiety and all those things anyway, mm. which means it also responds the most strongly to psychological intervention. So meditation and yoga and acupuncture, all the things that don't really do anything physically, but yeah. seem to affect the mind and settle people. The presumption is that IBS is probably largely a psychological mm. or a psychologically mediated disease process, which means that it will only really respond to tricks of the mind. So it's the best, one of the best possible diseases, quote unquote, that you can use placebo treatment for right and you're dealing with a population of people who are depressed anxious and mm. are just primed for this sort of a thing right so yeah it's, it's great because there is no real medicine it. for it so it's it. the, the placebo if it works is as good as any medicine you can have for ibs anyway yeah right it's like it's like giving them relaxation in a, in a sugar tablet or something you know i just but just, i just love how the the openness like hmm is there in this study. And so it's kind of like just knowing that the placebo works will make it work. Do you know what I mean? Like it's, but, it's, I love yeah, it. But it's no, a really interesting study. It's also sort of acknowledging in a way, and I think we've, ta- we've spoken about this before, that sometimes when you have these psychosomatically mediated disease processes or symptoms, sometimes acknowledging the psychosomatic element can significantly alter the symptoms, mm, right? That's right. Once you understand that it's not real and that it's probably largely not real, you can then start to get relief from that thing. And so sometimes if you put your faith in the placebo and you know that by letting the placebo work, you know that what you have is not a real thing, mm. then suddenly it's a way for you to physically latch on to the idea that it's a psychological problem. It's, and it's, it's, it's a way of acknowledging that without truly acknowledging it. So there's a there's a second there's a vested interest psychologically in you improving with that placebo because you do acknowledge in that mm. by taking it. Like mm. it's, it's, it's a red pill, blue pill. It's so great. It's, it's, that's, a, that's a really, we can do a whole episode just on that study. Well, I, th- I think we've established that, yes, thanks Dave, we are going to be uh, engrossed in that, I think for a subsequent episode yep. for sure. Um, another shout out, Michael and Grace with newborn Jasper. Yep. Shoutouts. Welcome to the world. Jasper, new DP. BRC, most recent BRC inductee. That's true. That means nothing to anyone listening Mm-mm. to this podcast. And finally, another piece of feedback is from Gavin. Don't know Gavin. Gavin's a, a new listener. Well, whoa, Gavin's really? a listener. Yep. He let me know because I posted up the last episode. So I don't like this show. No, 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 no. He was very positive. He, um, 
two things he told me. Yeah. He, he gave me uh, an email with two items on it. Yeah. Firstly, in the previous episode, the one we did on meditation, mm -hmm. I actually initially posted it up without the intro music. So there was a gap of about like, whatever, 15 seconds where the intro music should have been. Yeah. And he was like, he let me know. He was like, there's no, oh, actually no, it was in the break music that uh -huh. I didn't have it. And he said, there's zero audio in the break in the meditation episode. It's really a break from hearing. And then the second item was... Um, you should tell him that was a meditation time. <laughs> yeah, I did, I did. But um, uh, after that, he said, the, sec the second item was passwords. You both need key pass, which is this sort of password business. Mm -hmm. um, you need to remember only one password ever again. And I was like, oh, okay. I've heard of that. But like, th thanks. I mean, it, it's just uh, funny that our, our listeners... Did we discuss p passwords? No. Was that a problem? No. Oh, he just let us know. No, that's his company, obviously. And he's just, he's just let me know that passwords are... I've uh, heard of those kinds of things. Um, I also... But, I have a solution for that as well. The, the, use, the, just use the same password for everything. <laughs> <laughs> Dummy. <laughs> remember one password. Um, but then I replied to him and he was like, oh, thank... I said, thanks for letting me know, blah, blah, mm. blah. And he's like, oh, give me a shout out. So here's your, here's your shout out. Yep. Um, here's your shout out, Gav. But then he was like, and honestly, a password manager is the answer for both of your password woes. And I just love the idea that we don't have listeners that just want to listen yet. We have listeners that are trying to get something from, <laughs> from us as well. It's like, would you let call me, him a sponsor at yeah, this point? Probably, I guess. <laughs> yeah, right? I so this episode was sponsored by KeePass. Yeah. Um, use KeePass for all of your <laughs> password woes. Never, you'll still need to remember that first password. Though. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. Is there a way? Would there be like a fingerprint password manager for KeePass? So yeah. ultimately, you'd be like, you could use this one company. All you need is your thumb, yeah. and that'll give you access to your KeePass account, which then has all your other passwords in it. <laughs> That's it. So, hi, hey, Gav, thanks for listening in. And uh, yeah, there you go. You just got a, a plug for your biz. Uh, that's it. That's it from the listener feedback. Mm -hmm. You wanted to talk about something quickly. Well, I had some we listener to... feedback as well. Oh, yeah? And this is from Alana. And Alana asked us to speak about Wim Hof. Now, we, we oh. did a little quick yeah. kind of rundown mm -hmm. you and I about him before. Do you remember who he is or what we spoke about? Whoa. Pop quiz. You are stretching me, and I'm going to say no because I. It, I, I can't remember. I'm typing so it in Wim Hof to cheat. Is, yeah, you type it in. You do a number crunch. Yeah. So Wim Hof is like a 60-odd-year-old Dutch guy who's crazy fit. And his thing is he's a, he practices a kind of... Uh, he's also known as the Iceman, just by the way. He's the Iceman because he does all his stuff in the cold. Oh, yeah. So he exercises in the cold. He runs in the cold. He meditates in the cold. And he does these breathing exercises. Yeah. And so he claim, he's got all these kind of fairly wild claims. And I'm Dutch, so I'm, I'm, I'm tempted to believe everything he says, <laughs> and that he's some sort of superhuman. And he says that he can, um, you know, apart from the usual, like, depression and anxiety things you get from, you know, breathing exercises and whatnot, that his specific deep breathing techniques and cold exercise allow him to do, and like, you know, ice bath immersions and things like that, could potentially cure diseases, including cancers. Okay. Right? Freezing them in their tracks, or so to speak. He doesn't explain the physiology of it. No. <laughs> he's not a scientist. <laughs> he's just a crazy Dutch guy. So he's, he's made these... So, you know, he didn't just say this is good for you. You'll feel better. You'll be more energized. He made... He started to branch out. He's been doing this for a long time. And so it sounds like he's gone a little bit cocky. And he started, you know, going into this alternative medicine sort of, uh, you know, um, rhetoric. Saying, this can do whatever. This is a panacea. You can start... You can use my techniques 
that's made him famous. Really, he's like a Guinness Book of World Records kind of like stunt dude for yeah. what he does. Like yeah. long ice swims, longest like nude run in the snow or like with no shoes on. You know, yeah. impressive things nonetheless. But there shouldn't really be any truth claims <laughs> behind those. And he's like, why not? It can fix your cancer. <laughs> I was like, that's right. not based on you don't have cancer. You never fixed your own cancer. <laughs> How would you know that it could? So... At very least, he's made claims about his metabolism and um, his ability to maintain like temperature regulation with it and all these kinds of things. I don't know what the significance of those things are, but he's making those at least more. I feel like if, if you subject yourself to those temperatures often enough, it's going to be some kind of response well, your body he has. He claims that by doing it for the, over the course of the last 30 years or something. Yeah. He said he's always been interested in the cold, always started running in the cold at like 14 and has been doing it ever since. Yeah. So he's had like decades of cold uh, exposure and he says that by doing that he's actually altered his metabolism he's changed his um uh you know there's different kinds of fat in the body white fat and brown fat and he's changed sort of the proportion of his fat which has helped him you know further kind of survive this kind of, kind know, of uh, adapt I, I to it that i mean and then he's also adapted it that his metabolic rate has changed as a result sure. of it and all these kinds of things so he's a healthier person for it yeah. that's the, the conclusion now bold claim um would it matter for you and I? I don't really know. How would you test? We talk about evidence on the show. We talk about science. Somet- sometimes. Sometimes. Um, if you were going to try and put his claim to the test, what would be the ideal scenario? What do you mean? Okay, so you would take two people, put one in a well in an environment that is pretty cold, and one leave them as they are, and see yeah. twins. Well, as it so happens. Uh, it, it's always twins. It's God always twins. damn it. Twins. Twin studies, right? Twin I'm studies. I'm disappointed in myself that it took me about seven seconds yeah. to get there. Well, twin studies are definitely the best way to like, you want lots of twin studies or you want a huge numbers of people, right? Like, so in the absence of having, you know, N of a thousand people to kind of do this work on and mm-hmm. how are you going to get a thousand people, 500 of which have done 40 years of cold exposure <laughs> training, yeah, right? Exactly. Impossible. So a, a good pilot test would be to compare Wim to a physically identical person who has not done any cold training. And can as I, this can so I happens, guess? Yeah. Does he have a twin? He's got a twin brother. No, he doesn't. He does. And his twin brother has never, ever done any Get of this the stuff. Get out of here. Yeah. Are you kidding me? No. So, okay. it's, so it's like the most perfect scenario ever. So, <laughs> perfect case study, yeah. like so, case twin study. Firstly, note to anyone out there who plans on making some bold truth claims about your body or your physiology or your thing. Don't, don't have do a it. twin. Don't yeah. have a twin brother who doesn't do what you do because you'll very easily be able to compare yourself to him. <laughs> and so they put him and his brother. I can't believe he agreed to do this, right? Yeah. Um, they put him and his brother um, into some cold environments and they got him to, they taught the brother his hyperventilating technique, which showed that any changes that they, that they saw were just due to the immediate effect of hyperventilating, not from having done it for months or years right. or whatever else, right? And they found... No difference in their fat proportion. Like None. they 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 did, they did like their fat studies. They found like they did some biopsies or whatever. Exactly <laughs> the same. So Wim is obviously much fitter than Dirk or whatever his name would be. Another yeah. common yeah, Pim. Sure. Pim, another Dutch name. Anders. Sure. No difference. No difference in their resting metabolic rate. No difference in their metabolic rate. I think after the hyperventilating, proving that sure Wim's probably a fit dude, but he has. There's no evidence that his body is any different or more special than his brother in any 
thing that he has that allows him to survive and cold more comfortably than other people is probably just due to genetics, not to his techniques and not to his acquired skills. Because his brother can stomach it just as well as he can. Is his brother also called the Iceman, though? I don't think so. No. So Wim does presumably benefit from the nickname. Ooh, who wouldn't benefit from exactly. a nickname called the Iceman? <laughs> so <laughs> wonderful. So thank you, Alana, for that. Um, and not only is this an interesting story about someone making outrageous truth claims, it was a great example of sort of, you know, evidence-based science and action. I love it. And most, I, I've been hearing about the Wim Hof method for the last few months, like from a few people. You see it renowned. Someone's time breathing exercises. I'm trying the Wim Hof, Hof method. Yeah. Um, People, you can stop trying the Wim Hof method unless you just really want to run in the snow because it doesn't seem to do anything. Also, importantly, in the last couple of years... But he's been dedicating his, his life to this as well. This is like yeah, getting sure. confronted with your your life, yeah. which is a lie, essentially. Well, not well, a lie, no, but it's, it's just, just said that, yeah, sure, you're You've been good, doing all this you're, for nothing you're, and no, you're you've been enjoying it. He still kept his records. Although actually, I think some of his records have been broken by other people, but he's still good at being in the cold. It just doesn't have a lot to do with the choices he's made. It's just how he is. <laughs> yeah. um, so I love it. That's, so, that's actually so really that great. was pretty good. Um, what else? Oh, we should we should do a listener mailbag more often. This has provided us with a lot of totally lot of juice. right. And one more thing, we spoke about this a few weeks ago, and it came up again today. So this kind of goes back to our coffee chat. Um, we spoke. Speaking, of, speaking of which, you should definitely not have a coffee before the show. You, you usually come in guns blazing. Yeah. You've got about like I got, got so much. Of yeah. Well, we, it's been what, like three weeks since our last show, right? You've got a weapons cache aimed straight at me right now. It's great. I'm excited. I feel like John Wick, guns. I need <laughs> yeah. guns. I just saw John Wick the, fir- the first. Oh, what do you movie. think? It's not really your movie, is it? It's just like a straight up '90s action movie, which is great because I haven't seen one like that yeah. in a long time. But 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 it's, but, but, like... but it's smaller, right? Because there's so few people in it, and it feels like an art house version of a '90s action movie. <laughs> Did you get that vibe? The first, the first one. Yeah, yeah, a little bit. It was, done just, a, it was done on a pretty small budget and it's just done by like this little core group of people and it just feels... Have you seen um, Dark City? No, I've not seen it, no. Okay. Uh, that's anyway, we, we can do our, our movie yeah, podcast. Right. We'll be, do it on movie podcast up. later. Anyway, everyone loves John Wick. If you haven't seen it, just go see it because it's incredible. We're in well, the, I just feel like I'm going to need to see... Right now, I'm right? going to need to see the second before I see the third because if I know these types of movies, you cannot jump in. <laughs> you can. You, the third movie, I'm sure, builds incrementally upon plot devices in the second so sure <laughs> <laughs> but see too because it's a fun movie yeah um anyway so we were speaking a few weeks ago about we talk about music a lot you know i both like our our jams right you and me yeah we talk about music a fair Absolutely. bit yeah so we were speaking about um season three of this podcast is going to be a music podcast it will be yeah so we're talking about how um when i'm at work right all the time i'm operating and People put music on when you're operating. And um, usually the music is terrible. I just can't handle the music people play. It's either new music I don't know or just just really bad 80s compilations that are fine, but just you've heard a thousand times before. I just don't want to hear those songs again. Mm-hmm. Every now and then, though, there's a glimmer of hope and you hear a playlist and there's a, there's a song that you either a song that you love that you never would have thought someone else would have listened to or, or it's a song that you like that sounds good, but you don't know it. And you go to the person who's playing the music and you go, oh, dude, I can't believe you've, you've got like a replacements track on your, on your playlist. Mm. That's never happened. <laughs> but like something like that, right? And uh, they'd be like, oh, who? Oh, yeah, no, sorry. This is just a Spotify playlist. Yeah, that's right. And 
you're hardened that there's music you like and then you're instantly deflated because the person you're speaking to doesn't even know what it is, right? So it got us talking about what's worse, someone with bad taste in music or someone who listens to better music but doesn't know what it is because they just have Spotify. They're only, the only artist they know is Spotify playlist. <laughs> well, I can, I can hardly complain against the latter of those two because I am turning into that person that just runs with Spotify and... I don't even know some of the artists that I save onto my like playlists and stuff. Yeah. I, I have this like yearly playlist I make each year of my favorite tunes. And mm -hmm. sometimes I won't even know the artist having listened to that song five, ten times. Okay, and, and so more. this is what bothers me, right? That a year ago, I would have said, um, that's a, a surefire sign of someone who doesn't actually really care about music. They just they're they're a music consumer or music as a commodity, they've got a playlist like a Spotify subscription. And when they tell me, oh, this is a Spotify playlist, I can basically write off any need to talk to that person about music or, yeah, exactly. or whatever else. Right? Like, well, that's oh, me. Well, you you, can, you right. don't have to talk to me about music anymore. Not, I, I know that. Yeah. But the thing is, in the last few months, I know a lot of guys who are big into music and who I've had many, many good chats about music with who are now on the Spotify bandwagon and the same thing's happening to them, right? Well, that's, well, that's and me. That's you, You're describing right? me. And so just this morning, the reason I bring this up today, I was, I was at my favorite coffee shop this morning, which doubles as a bit of a record store and they've got a little kind of... They got Wait, a, hold on. What, what, is, what is this? this I shouldn't is... say because what I'm saying is not a very nice thing, right? Actually, I'll say it because it's, it's my favorite cafe in Sydney. So ultimately, it's not a bad thing. Susie Q in Surrey Hills. It's my favorite cafe in Sydney. Um, Jordan is a wonderful man that runs it. But they've always played good music there. That's one of the reasons I go. And they've got this kind of stack of vinyl at the back. And they used to have a, you know, a, a record player. And so they play the music. And some of the stuff I recognize, some I wouldn't recognize. And you go there because it'd be good music you didn't know. Yeah. But at least it was being played by someone. It was a curated way, and the person was playing it knew the music was. Well, I was there, I think it was there last weekend or two weekends ago, and there's a song I recognized. It came on over the speaker, and it was pretty obscure, so I was surprised to hear it, but it happened to be a song that I did know. Um, and so I asked Jordan, so is this, um, you know, so-and-so? I won't go, it's a pretty obscure band, so I won't go into the details here. And he said, uh, oh, I'm not sure. This is a Spotify playlist. Yeah, great. And so and now like, the DJ is playing a Spotify playlist, and I thought, this is it. This is the end of days. <laughs> Hold on, wait, wait. Did you say there was a, there's a DJ in there? No, no. like Jordan. Jordan. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Jordan oh, sorry. Is, I was like... And it used to It'd be, be funny if that was like, there was a DJ yeah. in this joint. It was just like, I have no idea who this is. <laughs> it's a Spotify oh, playlist. Well, would you be surprised if DJ, DJ wouldn't? Yeah. Their whole job is just putting on Spotify, basically, right? Their job got a whole lot easier in the last couple of years. But it used to be that I'd go there, and like the days that he was on as the manager, because he runs the place where there's better music and the days that he wasn't on and it was the regular staff running the playlist, you could tell it was just kind of like a Spotify playlist, like playing the hits, like playing a lot of mixed 60s tunes to yeah. make people think that it was being played by someone who knew something about music and he had a much more intelligent mix. And then um, he's just like, nah, I don't know. This is just a Spotify playlist now. Wow. And so it's like, the it's, an, it's, it's, it's infecting yeah. like even the, uh, the, what, the musical cognizati. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right? Uh, and so I don't know. I don't want to think about that. It's kind of scary. Well, you're going to become come one too, man. Or maybe you can just keep trying to hold out. Do you, you use Spotify? I use know, iTunes like... music, Apple music, whatever it is. But I don't. Why? Because it syncs with the music I have already. Okay. Yeah. So, I, so I only have. So good, I dude. only need one app, dude. It's got it's got the same music on it as Spotify. Mm. But I don't use the recommended features. I never get music sent to me, and I'm a little bit afraid of doing that. Anyway, so that's our music, coffee, um, science, mailbag. This is our biggest like lead-in, right? 
Yeah, yeah, well, this is what I was saying. Like, we occasionally do talk about science, but hey, that's what we do. We're, it's Jeremy's Iron. This is, this is us, man. Yeah, Justin and Justin. Take us as we are. That makes sense. Two men um, sitting naked at a table in your <laughs> kitchen <laughs> talking about, you know, whatever it is. I, that I'm only naked from the neck down. <laughs> I don't know about you. That's true. I'm only naked from the neck up. <laughs> All right, let's, uh, we're going to have a little break, and then we're going to come back with uh, the main event, which is discussing soy, soy. man boobs, and women's health too. Pre- and post-menopause. Okay, so we're going to talk about soy. Mm-hmm. Now, this I guess the, the genesis of this particular podcast is, well, it's kind of always been in the back of my head to not eat that much soy. Like, I actually love tofu. I really love tofu for some strange reason. What's like, your favorite tofu form? See, I, I wouldn't even know. I don't, I don't, I'm not you even that like, aware of what well, I'm... I mean, like, there's like the silken tofu. There's like that um, tofu that's like a sponge tofu, like the kind you get in a laksa. Yeah, the laksa... Yeah. But you like that kind of sponge, like they want the skin yeah, on yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, right. yeah. Yeah, um, But I dig it. And there's a part of me that's always like, oh, I'm not going to have too much of this because I don't want to get man boobs. Right. And I don't know where I picked that up from, but it seems to be... Well, people say that stuff to you. Like yeah. I, I've had, I don't... If you do occasionally have like a soy, hot chocolate or something, right? Yeah. People would say to you, dude, why are you drinking that? You're going to get man boobs. You're going to grow tits if you do. Aren't you... Or people be like, aren't you afraid of drinking soy? Well, I don't like, know. I've heard it for 10 years. I don't know. I don't hear it that regularly. I've just and I've kept heard it on board somehow. people saying things like, oh, my so-and-so, my friend, my uncle, my grandfather won't drink soy because he's afraid of the estrogen mm. in it. So it's been sort of again like in the in the, the this popular fear of mm. soy for a long time that you just kind of hear colloquially but without much evidence or whatever else. You just know that there's estrogen in soy. Mm. Be careful. I don't love soy. I'm intrigued by soy. Yep. I'm amazed that soy can be used as a substrate to make pretty much anything. I reckon we can probably make people out of soy. Like, <laughs> yeah. you, want, you want like a vegetarian steak? It's soy-based. We can, we can turn soy into meat, cheese, well, these, milk, whatever. These whatever burgers form. now, these like, what are they, what are the, what's the replacement meat called? The one we had was Beyond Burger. Beyond Burgers, yeah. They, yeah. they taste freaking great. They taste great. Yeah. That's and, more and, than soy, but yeah, but soy can be used for all kinds mm. of stuff. So we're going to be essentially one of the main articles I'll be kind of basing this off, and you've got some stuff too. Mm-hmm. It's, it's called. Um, it was published in 2016 by Messina, Mark Messina, Soy and Health Update, Evaluation of the Clinical and Epidemiological Literature. So it kind of covers a lot yeah. of soy and health issues. Um, it was published in Nutrients 
So I'll just give you a bit of a rundown as well. You, you can jump into because I'm mm. sure you might know more than me about some of this stuff. Um, but the, the general positives about soy, because when it first started really hitting the Western world in what, the sort of 80s, 90s, that kind of thing, um, sure. it, it, it was touted as having a lot of health benefits. And it's generally been proven to have a lot of potassium, uh, it's high in iron. And there was always, there was then after that, a bit of a controversy around, well, it might be high in these things, mm -hmm. but because of its, its plant-based, can it be absorbed into the human body, right? Sure. Yeah. And it's actually been found that, yes, a lot of these things can still be absorbed in, in very serviceable quantities, including things like calcium as well. Mm -hmm. So there, there seems to be mounting research over the course of the last 20 years saying that, yeah, soy is actually pretty good at, for, for humans in terms of these yeah. absorbing these uh, nutrients. But it also has these things called isoflavins. Mm -hmm. Okay, so that this is the controversial part of the soy protein or whatever it is, right? Um, essentially, these isoflavones, they bind to estrogen receptors in the body. Yeah, um, and but you have two, right? Sure, yes, that's yeah. right. Alpha and beta, is that what you're talking about? Something like that. Mm -hmm. And I think it only attaches to one of those. But yeah, with different different kinds of animal plant estrogens and they have different affinity, they have different mm. strength binding to different receptors. That's right. But, but, yeah. but generally they bind more weakly to those estrogen receptors than estrogen itself. Mm -hmm. But because when you consume a bit of soy, so say you can serve, consume two servings of soy in a day, mm -hmm. You actually have a shitload of these isoflavin and isoflavins around your body, and the, just the, the raw quantity of them is actually affecting these receptors, the ability to maybe attach yeah. regular estrogen onto those receptors, and so mm -hmm. that could cause theoretically a whole bunch of um, hormonal effects on both right. men and women. Right. right. Can I jump in for a second and, yeah. and, and uh, throw a little something at you? Yeah. Um, if we go all the way back, do you know how we first figured out that some plants have Estrogens in them? No. So firstly, the word that people use, so isoflavins is a kind of hormone or chemical found in these plants. Mm -hmm. It's a very specific kind. And there's a few different kinds of these little hormones that are within plants, and they fall under the umbrella of phytoestrogens. Yes. So that's what you'll typically hear, like when you get your soy, it might even say like a good source of phytoestrogens. Mm. So phytos is a Greek for? Sorry, Phytos, P-H-Y-T-O. Oh, like plant, plant yeah. yeah. And estrogen. So phytoestrogen means yeah. like plant-derived estrogens. Also called xenoestrogens. Because like they're foreign to the body. Estrogens that, that we didn't make as, as opposed to yeah. endoestrogens or endogenous estrogens that you make for yourself, right? So could I say my body is xenoestrophobic? Absolutely. <laughs> you definitely could. <laughs> okay. um, so they noticed, I think it was like 1926, some farmers noticed that if sheep were grazing, so if in a weird dry patch, whatever, sheep were, this, uh, my, this is my understanding. If they were grazing on plants, they weren't normally what they would graze on. And some of those plants were higher, as we know now, in phytoestrogens. Um, those sheep would become less fertile. Less fertile. Less fertile. Okay, so these are the, the yeah, right. Well, because we know that, like, you know, estrogens, are, it's a very complicated system, right? It's like when you take the, the pill, well, not when you take the pill. I'm not sure what happens when you take the pill. Right. But when the pill is, the pill is for, uh, female hormones, right? So it's estrogens and a combination of those things. Mm -hmm. And they sometimes give negative feedback to the, um, 
sort of the, the menstrual cycle, mm-hmm. which changes actually how fertile somebody is. So estrogens can make you more fertile, but they can also make you less fertile depending on the concentration and the kind of estrogen that you use um, or other hormones as well. It's usually a combination. Uh, but, but generally, I presume that the introduction of this stuff tends it could use, would usually be negative, right? Like it's, it's hard to... Ups, when you're upsetting the, the natural balance of estrogen in the human body, mm-hmm. it's generally going to be a negative imbalance, it, Well, right? it depends on what you're looking at. Okay. Anyway, right. sorry, continue. Uh, so and they noticed that there is, for some reason, when the plant, when the sheep eat some plants, they become less fertile. They did some studies found that these plants actually have higher than normal estrogens or estrogen-type chemicals or right. molecules in them. And then they started to explore what these hormones are. And then they started thinking, well, wait a minute. We eat some things. Do the things that we eat have estrogen in them? And they found that soy is one of the biggest ones. Uh, typically, they're found in legumes and beans. So mm. anything that's got beans or legumes, soy being kind of the key one, um, has got some degree of phytoestrogens in them. Mm-hmm. And then the big question is, does it matter? That's right. And um, there's been some huge studies on the effects on women. Mm-hmm. Because naturally, that would be your first port of call, right? Mm-hmm. Like, who has the, the most estrogen in the body yep. and requires it for most of their reproductive activities? Women. So Generally women. Generally women. <laughs> yeah. um, so the European Food Safety Authority in 2015 um, put together a panel on food additives and nutrient sources added to food science. I think I've, I've copied this wrong. Uh, it's a scientific opinion on the risk assessment for peri- and post-menopausal women taking food supplements containing isolated isoflavins. Neil perimenopausal. <laughs> Very good. Okay, so all, all, the, all these um, references that we're using, we're going to be putting in the show notes. So if you look up Z statistics, sorry, what, <laughs> well, you, you can do that. But it, so if you look up Jeremy's Iron, you'll find us. It's all one ecosystem. Yeah. Uh, you'll, if you look up Jeremy's Iron in Google, you'll find the webpage, and we can have we'll have all of the. Um, if you want to do your own research afterwards, feel free. But this was a it's a systematic review performed to investigate whether an association could be found between the intake of these isoflavins and food supplements uh, uh, and adverse effects on the three target organs in peri and postmenopausal women. Mm-hmm. Basically, there's no effect. Essentially, the human data did not support the hypothesis of an increased risk of breast cancer, nor an effect on mammographic density, nor proliferation of some marker. Um, No effect was found on endometrial thickness and histopathological changes in the uterus after Mm -hmm. 30 months of supplementation. So basically, if you're a woman, you can have as much soy. It seems that you can have within limits as much soy as you want and... um, doesn't appear to be much effect, particularly around the menopausal age, mm-hmm. which seems good. Same, and no, and no breast growth. Well, yeah, that's what it said there too, right? Yeah. Um, right. So then we can start talking about the effects in men. Well, first, let me go back to some of the effects on women because that's most of my research was about the oh the, the female effects. Because if you think about it. So what, what, women, if you've got some stuff to talk about with the, about. the effects on women, why don't you give us a well, little rundown? It makes sense, right? Because women would be a good, the most obvious one to research because uh, they have more estrogen receptors. They're mm-hmm. more primed to be kind of, you know, receptive to estrogen. Yep. Uh, and so if we don't see an effect in women, the odds are that we wouldn't see an effect in men, right? Who have estrogen receptors. For sure, we have them because we're human, yeah. but they don't do a whole lot. And we don't have this, they're not as sensitive. We don't have as many as women. Now, so after the whole sheep thing, 
it's interesting, right? Because the whole reason we know that these things exist at all is because they saw an effect on animals. Mm. So right away you go, well, that's it. That should be the end of it, right? We know right away that these phytoestrogens can cause an effect on fertility, which means they can have an effect on basically they can replace endogenous estrogens and they can change how something works, right? Mm. And so you go, well, that should be the, no, the coffin, right? Estrogens make breasts grow. Estrogen makes you fertile. You need to eat more of it. It's going to change it all. Men avoid estrogen. It's not quite that simple because they found was that um, sheep, cows, and these other animals, which they started to research, um, who are grazing on these plants, are much more primed to be sensitive to them because they're ruminators. So their whole stomach and their digestion system works very differently to humans. Okay. And part of the reason why they'd be more sensitive to it is that they, I think, basically recycle those estrogens. And a lot of the activity... So when you first eat the plant, I think the actual chemicals, the estrogens in the plants aren't super active right out of the plant, but the digestion process is actually what converts them into something that's a lot more like estrogen like than they already human are. in the body. Yeah. yeah. And ruminators do that even more so from what I understand. So if you're going to see a difference, it's going to happen in these ruminators as opposed to a human. So we can't already off the bat, we can't necessarily make a correlation between the effect in animals versus the effect in humans. Well, this is like the same as the in vitro versus totally. in vivo studies, right? And then obviously, what did they do next? They did in vitro studies. And okay. they take... Um, Which is, for, for the listener, they, in vitro, in petri dish. In a petri stuff, dish, right? right? So they take human cells and they put these you know, plant-derived estrogens in the petri dish and see if it makes a difference or has an effect. Yeah. And they do all the standard things we, we've talked about before. They take breast cancer cells, they take uterine cancer cells, they take just uterine cells, and they see how these, these estrogens affect them. And of course, every one of the studies has shown, someone has shown something, that estrogens make breast cancer cells grow more. Estrogens, phytoestrogens, decrease breast cancer cell growth. They're good for the heart. They're bad for the heart. Yeah. They're, they're increased menstrual proliferation. So basically, if, if you're in a Petri dish, don't <laughs> inject yourself with... But maybe do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but maybe do. <laughs> Depends on which dish you're in and whose lab, right? Um, but again, it's totally different because you're exposing it straight to the organ and in concentrations that you can just choose willy-nilly. Um, and... We all know that, as we've said before, that these petri dish studies don't hold a lot of currency when mm. it comes to actual human metabolism and stuff. Um, so the next level of evidence that they found that a lot of these kind of things are based on, but whether or not it's good for things, is epidemiological studies. So, as, like, are you talking about like looking at, say, Asian cultures versus exactly non-Asian? So, yeah. So we know that Asian cultures have had longer history of eating soy. Western cultures don't. Yeah. So they start looking at... Which is just a, a, a confounding clusterfuck, right? It is, but there are ways to tease it out, right? Okay. You look at sort of like crossover type studies or you'd have... Um, well, someone becomes Asian and then... <laughs> someone, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So they walk around, hold their fingers <laughs> on their eyes. <laughs> Not appropriate. Continue. No, I agree. It's a weird study. <laughs> we won't get oh, into it though. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I read that. I was like, that. this is not science. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, keep going. Um, so what they did was they looked at you know all the diseases or all the things that we think estrogen in theory might have an effect on or even people would start looking at changes between population groups and start to think well maybe it's dietary even if we didn't know it would be related to that you just go well what else is the difference between like Japanese and people from Cincinnati 
well, the Japanese eat way more soy. So maybe if mm. they have less heart disease, maybe it's related to the diet of their soy. I mean, also, you know, hundreds, of, hundreds of thousands eats. of years of evolution sure. as well, right? But, they would, but then they did some studies and they found that breast cancer, for example, is much lower in Japanese women than it is in American women. And when, um, when you have second generation Japanese immigrants or migrants in the States, they have the same rate of breast cancer, or at least the same rate of the same types of breast cancer as regular American women. Mm. I don't want to use regular American, but yeah, yeah. non-Japanese non yeah, origin yeah. American women. Um, and so they started thinking, well, it must be something environmental mm. in Japan and also in Southeast Asia that makes them less prone to developing certain kinds of breast cancers. And then they find that recent Japanese migrants, so first generation or whatever, mm. not generation Japanese migrants, have a risk somewhere in between Japanese people. Okay, so there's and a great. Second, it's kind of like a dose response of Americanism. Exactly. And so it's like, well, what is it about the American? It must be the. It's probably could be the diet. That's what they're saying. Yeah. And what's the biggest part, the component of the diet? Well, the crazy wow. amount of soy is what they're thinking. Uh, uh, well, so this is a lot of changing research, to an American diet. I don't know if soy is the big. The strongest research that they have for the benefits of soy yeah. come from this kind of data, okay. not from any other data. Look, that's not bad. I, I, I'm right. running with it for the moment. Yep. So that's something. Mm -hmm. So they do think that there is some small effect, and it may be a, an effect that's so cumulative over such a long period of time, we're talking years, that it's hard to study in a small population of 100 people over the course of six months or two years, right? Mm. Which is maybe why we don't see it teased out in some of the biological studies. So. The research I found looked into some degree of research into a little... Look, it's hard to study breast cancer stuff, really, but one thing that's really easy to study is like um, menstrual cycles. It happens every month. Mm. Um, you can get a lot of women who, who have them, and you can easily give them like soy tablets or lots of soy milk and see if it changes both the length of their cycle or the phases of their cycle. You can take biopsies. You can do all this kind of hormone levels. Mm. And what... The best they found is that it does seem to change very slightly the hormone levels that they can measure. It seems to change certain frequencies and durations of certain phases of the menstrual cycle, mm -hmm. but they haven't found, I don't think, a significant effect on fertility despite that. So okay. we do seem to be able to tease out some degree of change that's physiological. Yeah. Um, and these are, severe, but these are still reasonably small numbers of people, but... It's not strong. Well, I, was, I should say that one little thing that came from the, the study I mentioned before from the European Food Safety Authority, mm -hmm. um, it, it says right at the end, it says after 60 months of essentially changing to a sort of more soy-based yep. diet or whatever, some non-malignant histopathological changes were reported. Mm -hmm. So I presume that that is like there, there is something that does happen with this, but it's not yeah. to say that that's necessarily a positive. Yeah. So we are but, sensitive to these estrogens, but, and there does seem to be some effect. If you change your diet in any direction, I'm sure there'd be some kind of a change in the body, right? Like yeah. it's, it, you know. Sure. And again, to, for these changes to be noticeable, the women are drinking a liter of soy milk a day. That's a for lot. months. Yeah. Like, so when you have a soy cap. If someone's like, dude, you're going to be growing tits with that soy cap. You're like, I need to have, firstly, I would need to have like 12 of these. Yeah. <laughs> and even then you might well, notice a difference in my endometrial lining. <laughs> well, wait, wait till you, wait till you hear about these, these studies into men's testosterone levels and stuff, sure. because it, it does me. get into those, um, to interesting mm -hmm. discussions of dosage as well. So that's all I've got. I'm yeah. done. I'm out. Well, let's, let's talk about the, the, um, flip side of this, which is the yeah. effect of soy on men. 
Mm-hmm. Um, now, there's been a couple of studies that came out at the beginning of this decade, so what, 2010, 2011. Um, and it's also, this one's 2011 from nutrition again. Um, hypogonadism, which I love that as which, a sly, you know. It means small testicles. That's right. <laughs> Um, it's finally a word for you. Yeah. <laughs> Science has finally Hi- come around hypo- to naming you. Hypogonadism and erectile dysfunction associated with soy product consumption. Now, that is the title of this paper, right? Meaty. What, what would you reckon the end, the number of observations is for this p- p- particular paper? How many people they studied? Correct. To, for, f- to justify this title, hypogonadism and erectile dysfunction associated with soy product consumption. Look, between you and me, I would be happy with uh, three people <laughs> to, to make that conclusion. Well, it's actually one. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a case study. It's a case study, yeah. Which so, for the listener is the lowest form of evidence you can have. Yeah, that's right. So there was basically a 19-year-old dude that became a vegan uh-huh. and started eating just a lot of soy. Yeah. And then basically presented um, with um, erectile dysfunction, lo- low libido, um, and was kind of like, what's going on? And they were like, okay, well, what's happening? And, and they just described his diet. And I said, well, maybe you should stop eating this diet. And over the course of, say, six months to 12 months, his, they measured his um, testosterone levels and it sort of came back to regular levels. Mm-hmm. He found his libido came back and all was, all was peachy in the world of this 19-year-old kid, right? Yeah. Now, how much soy do you reckon this guy was eating on this new soy diet before he came in presenting with all of these erectile symptoms. How are we quantifying? Are we in- How much of, like, okay, the Western diet... Can- okay, the Western diet is too... Uh, on, this is a Western guy. Yeah. Because uh, it's in the States. and um, He could have been a third-generation Asian true, person. True, <laughs> true. Um, but he's not. Okay. Um, two milligrams a day is the average consumption of a, West, a person in the Western world um, of soy. So how many milligrams a day do you reckon this guy was consuming on his own accord a thousand not well okay that, well, that's pretty i don't high. know there was 360 so he's, okay. he's having 180 times the dosage the recommended of, well, the recommended <laughs> yeah. but the average dosage yeah. of you know mm-hmm. uh, a non I, I think in um asian cultures it can get up to about 25 milligrams a day 25 30 mm-hmm. um and so he's still taking about what to a, what's that sort of 12 15 times that as well so this guy's having a whole lot of soy right yeah and so in, in the studies that i found some of the um like the equivalents for someone drinking like, like a liter of soy yeah um was like 80 milligrams of tablet form yeah you that's know, right isoflavonoids so this is, he is already taking like an four times amount of the soy. dose yeah. of, enough that was able to maybe change someone's menstrual cycle yeah he was taking which is already we know like a crazy amount yeah no no he was eating this is all through because he for some reason was like okay soy is my protein and he was like this sort of health nut guy so he was just eating everything with soy do you like, remember when we were in new york together like i think it's 10 years ago this yeah. year I don't know if you were there. That, well, we were all there. All the I'm just gonna I'm just gonna clap twice because that'll tell me I can cut this out no, later no, no, in post production. No. Keep going. No, this is good. <laughs> I walked into a health food shop yeah. just to get like a bottle of water, and it was like a vegan like supplement shop, and they had an issue of uh, vegan bodybuilding 
magazine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And there's all these like vegan, like, vegan bros. Yeah, and they're just like you know eating tons and tons of like soy based yeah. protein powder. Yeah, they're all tiny. <laughs> they were just not nearly as big as, big as, the, as regular bodybuilders. Yeah, yeah, like yeah, there's yeah. pretty pretty wiry bodybuilders. Anyway, there's there's another case study that was presented as well as some of this evidence. Like th- these are the case studies that got into my head mm. through whatever that would have been posted on a blog somewhere and yeah. someone saw it and it was in the media and all this kind of shit. Clickbait. This one was, it's called an unusual case of gynecomastia, which mm-hmm. as you could tell the listeners is? Is um, man boobs. The manny boobies. Yeah. Um, an unusual case. At least that's this one says an unusual case. The other one doesn't even say that. This one it tells you it's a case yeah. study. Um, an unusual case of gynecomastia associated uh, gynecomastia yeah. associated with soy product consumption mm-hmm. by Martinez and Louis. This was in Endocrine Practice. That's the journal. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, it's a 60-year-old man who presents with low libido and part of me is like, okay, well, you're, you're 60. Mm-hmm. Um, and man boobs, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, he was drinking three quarts of... What does that mean? I don't, yeah, I don't know American I, I saw three quarts and I put it into Google. 2.8 liters of soy a day. <laughs> Who is the time? Exactly. I've never drunk 2.8 liters of anything. First, if I did, I'd be up all night peeing. Yeah. (laughs) Like, it would ruin my life. And so, basically, these two case studies were mentioned in in the the, um, the sort of parent um, study that I was talking about before. And the the word, the the way they um, summarize these two is basically like, the two aforementioned case reports simply illustrate that consuming excessive amounts of essentially any food can potentially lead to abnormalities. Which I think is really the takeaway from this. Like if you eat, if you drink 2.8 liters of a particular liquid that's not water every day, like even water, I don't think you do that. I think you can do 2.8 liters. 2.8 liters is a lot of water. Aren't you meant to drink two liters or is that? No. It's all bullshit apparently. Oh, yeah. Okay. The eight glasses a day? Yeah. Apparently, uh, no, that's probably, there's no science behind that at all. Right. Drink when you're thirsty. I, d- I do feel like if I had to choose one liquid that I would consume 2.8 liters of, Honey. I, I'd probably. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know what you're thinking. Is it a liquid? Is it not? <laughs> Does it count as a liquid? Yeah, that's right. That was my first question. Uh, honey would be problematic, I would say. Yeah. Never goes off. This is a question for the listeners. What, what, what liquid, 2.8 liters thereof, yeah. Would you consider to be the uh, <laughs> the wisest choice? <laughs> the wisest choice. Yeah. Jeremy's Iron Podcast at gmail.com. Write us in, or you can check us out on uh, Facebook. Or just Jeremy come Zine. visit us in the studio. <laughs> come yeah, tell just, us. Just call one of us on our mobiles. <laughs> come show us. Uh, so that's, I, I think, largely the myth of soy affecting, yeah. well, giving man boobs. Don't worry about it. Enjoy, enjoy your tofu, buddy. Just don't just don't eat a truckload of anything. Don't drink two point eight liters worth of soy milk. Of anything. Yeah. Um, also, I'd like to draw the listeners' attention to a, a good giveaway. So your two studies there were a really good sort of litmus test. For we have something. a giveaway. No, no giveaway. Oh, uh, we should do that though. A, a scientific giveaway, right? Of, oh, of, sorry, of yeah, when yeah. to ignore a paper and when to kind of maybe look a bit closer. Because yeah. I found the same thing when I was looking at papers. And this comes up in all of... We've done a lot of like dietary kind of things. Just who knows why. It just seems to come up that, that a lot of popular science is yeah. kind of... Well, that's what people relate to. People yeah, don't relate it's, to... It's one way you can take control the, of your health, you know, right? Hadron Collider. Yeah. So 
the second paper you found was much more reasonable in its conclusions and its presentation of its data than the first one, right? That's right. The first one was in like nutrition, yep. right? And the second one was in like an endocrinology yep. paper. There was a big difference in the rigor between nutrition journals and anything that's like endocrinology, metabolics. Yeah, So because that is actually of interest. The fact that he had that much soy, it's like, well, this is interesting from an endocrine perspective, like scientifically, less yeah. so about what we should be eating, more yeah. so about how the human body works kind of Nutritionalists thing, right? are not real scientists, right? So nutritionalists are people who've gone and done like, a one-year nutrition degree at TAFE or something is, is a nutrition, and they can write do papers. You watch out, bro. We'll, we'll get letters. We will get letters. I know, but like, I'm not saying they have no place, but there isn't as much scientific rigor in the in the journals called nutrition as compared to like you know the American Journal of Metabolic <laughs> you know, Studies. Yeah. Um, and so right away, that's a giveaway. And all the worst papers I found, they were much more sort of like uh, what's what, what's the word I'm looking for. Uh, um, less scrupulous. Less scrupulous. We're all called like, you know, Connecticut Journal of Nutrition. Yeah. Or yeah, yeah. like, you know, Nutrition Today or whatever else. And yeah. That, I mean, that's definitely... They're like basically a... versions, they're fancy versions of Daily Mail. Yeah. <laughs> and then as soon as you read one that has the word like endocrine or metabolics or genetics or whatever else, um, um, right away it's talking about like p-values and it's talking about ends and it's much more rigorous. They're not all great, but at least there seems to be a, a level of quality yeah. to get into those journals. So you can sort of screen your, uh, your lit reviews just by looking at the journal, just by looking at the name sometimes. It's a bit of a, bit of a tell. Yeah, and in terms of like... humans, it seems as though we can say that there is a physiological effect yep. with these hormones on humans, but whether that physiological effect has any clinical repercussions or clinical outcomes mm -hmm. it's uncertain so the question is yes it can change you yes you can respond to it but does it matter no. not strongly no and as i said before I, th I feel like if you change your diet in any direction at all mm. there will be some changes that happen to you right like if i, if I just started eating like two bananas a day every day there's be so there'd be something that would happen out of that right because i'd be supplementing something else instead of the banana you know what i mean like uh, i told you about my recent uh, dietary change right uh, you know, I'm not one for big dietary changes. I don't think about that stuff very often. Right. No? What, what is it? What's the... No, um, I don't eat cephalopods anymore. Wait, I know this. Yeah. Don't tell me. I'm not going to tell you. You don't eat... Uh, that's right. You don't eat squid and you don't eat prawns. Do you eat prawns? Of course I eat prawns. Yeah, they're stupid. <laughs> <laughs> but you don't eat squid, squid, cuttlefish, and uh, octopus. Right. Which is tough, being a uh, a Greekophile. Yeah, I'm not really Greek. No, you're not being, but, you, but I like octopus a lot. Mm. And uh, octopaki. You like saying octopaki. I love saying octopaki. Yeah. And do you know what it is in Dutch? No. Inktvist. 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 Ink, like ink. Oh no, that's right? really good. Yeah. And I don't know what this means. Uh, it sounds like a, it does sound like a Tool album, to be honest with you. Inktvist. <laughs> yeah. Tools back, Maynard is back with the Inktvist. Um, yeah, so I won't eat them. They're too smart. They're too close to humans. Yeah. So uh, I've cut that out. Who knows what effect that'll have on my diet? My largely Kefalopod-based diet up until now. <laughs> yeah. You know? Guess who? I went to the aquarium. No you, way. Yeah, I went to the aquarium a week ago, two weeks ago. How was it? I haven't gone in... I don't know. It's great. 15 years? You can hang out with your Kefalopod buddies. There's a whole like squid section. 
I went to the aquarium It, it was actually in amazing. There was, a, there was a dugong. They have a dugong there. Sea cow. Yep. Which they, I mean, they were initially trying to release it back into the wild, but apparently the dugong they have there, mm-hmm. um, when they released it back, it, it, it would... Couldn't cope. No, well, it got ostracized by the other dugongs and would be attacked by the other dugongs as well. So they took them back they in. They took them back in. Is a dugong and a manatee the same thing or are they different things? Good question. I feel like that was answered for me when I was there and I have no idea. We'll check it out. Listeners, we'll have an answer on the dugong manatee debate. Um, <laughs> yeah. Oh, this reminds me actually. One of the things I found in the research um, for the estrogen stuff was that parrots have a, they have a natural diet in the wild. And apparently certain kinds of parrots are, um, have low fertility right now. And so their populations are diminishing. And so, you know, we have like a captive populations that are they're trying to, you know, repopulate right. with. It's because they're beginning into a, te- <laughs> well, a tempeh diet. <laughs> apparently, it says that they, their natural diet is very low in phytoestrogens. And there's a theory that certain animals supplement their natural estrogen production with plant-based estrogens because they're more receptive to those estrogens and they probably have a bigger effect like in the sheep, right? So maybe birds, uh, I think birds are also more sensitive to it than we are. Mm. Um, and so some animals may be part of their life cycle. They actually need to use these plant-based estrogens. And so what they're trying to do is create bird feed that has higher in phytoestrogens so that when they feed it to the captive parrots, they can improve the fertility and help repopulate the species. So they're trying to use this kind of phytoestrogen axis um, for fertility good. Interesting. Mm. Wow. Yeah. So there you go. A little, a little tie-in between captive, anim- captive wild animals and <laughs> phytoestrogens. It all comes together in the end, doesn't it? It does, as do most of our shows, <laughs> conveniently. They all wrap up. If you've got any uh, correspondence, qu- queries, gifts, gifts, money, yep, yep, or show suggestions, hit us up. Jeremy we'll would take money over show suggestions. Yeah, yeah. Well, it depends. Right? What, no, no, I wouldn't. Not at this point, unless it's, it depends how much crypto? money. Crypto. I would take. Uh, yeah, we'd be taking. Crypto is doing well now. We take a crypto. Yeah. Or two. How Bitcoin do you feel about only. gold? Got, well, gold's safe. Gold's safe. Gold is and in safe. And in these testing times, sometimes here, you need to turn to something that's dependable. Bankable. So here at Jeremy's Iron, we invest heavily in fiat economies. <laughs> in feed economies? Fiat. Oh, fiat. Fiat economies. Yeah. Right? So that's the creation of a value of something that is ultimately valueless. Mm. So, you know, if you uh, want to attribute a value to something yeah. and use that to remunerate us, we're happy to take it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We honor your fiat value. Cool. Well, we'll see you next week. We're, we're going to do, uh, what's the next episode going to be? You, you, you said it before the show. Oh, and yeah. I was like, I think let's gonna, do that. Yeah. Let's look into um, this other sort of raging debate. Um, what do you call it? Uh, blue light and sleep. Oh, yes. So cell phone, computer screens, and sleep patterns. I like it. Right? And I do the have. The great bane of our generation. I do have some um, orange glasses yeah. that I bought. In a, in a yeah, let's not let's not go into the phase I was in, but I, I bought into it a little bit, and I since grew out of it. You investigated it. I investigated. Yes. Yeah. Right. That's yes. fine. I did. I did. It could have been a tax deduction. Now that I think about it, in fact, everything I do could be a tax deduction for this podcast, considering that you know, all my soy milk, <laughs> <laughs> all my soy milk, all my turmeric, <laughs> my chiropractor. <laughs> it's, all, it's all going on the. Jeremy's Iron Tab, my friend. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's kind of what... In fact, that'd be a good reason to have this show in the first place. We just talk about anything we want to buy. Like, we'll talk about my new MacBook Pro next week. <laughs> 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 it's 
So we're gonna we're gonna address the long-standing uh, theory that MacBook Pros do, in fact, improve fertility <laughs> and sleep patterns. So we'll each be buying a MacBook Pro. <laughs> there is one small problem with using this as a as a tax deduction uh-huh. solely. We need to make money from this. That's true. That is the and that goes back fly to the. Uh, financial ointment. That goes back so to what to we said a few minutes ago, which is please send us money. Yeah. <laughs> so we can use it. We still can tax deduct. It's not that we want the money. We just want the deductions for the show. <laughs> we can probably give you the money back. <laughs> How does that work? Can you return the money like the next financial year? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Let's get out of here. Okay. We're done. Let's go eat. See ya. See ya. amazing like you having a coffee just before show <laughs> i don't know if you should do it regularly <laughs> it's fucking amazing um well you know it's like that uh, that show like two psychologists and two like uh, four beers two psychologists or whatever it is that uh those would be like two dudes one coffee